To be honest with you, I've been walking with the Lord now for decades. I accepted Christ at age 11. I'm 67 today. I can honestly tell you, I've never doubted the presence of God in my life. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Chaplain Douglas L. Carver, U.S. Army, retired. He's a major general. Chaplain Carver, thank you for speaking with me today. Oh, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. You currently serve as Executive Director of the Chaplaincy Services for the North American Mission Board. So after your years in chaplaincy in the Army, you are still in civilian life, pastoring, so to speak. I am indeed. Retired from the Army in 2011 and then began working in local Southern Baptist churches since then, but also currently serve with my denomination as the Executive Director of Chaplaincy. So I work with our chaplains who are pursuing ministry in various institutions in the United States and around the world. When you're looking at people from Southern Baptist background, what are you looking for that you think is going to help them be good chaplains and be a service? service people? That's a great question. One of the primary things that we look at, first of all, of their active and strong faith in Jesus Christ is the fact that they have a calling into the chaplaincy. The chaplaincy is a unique type of ministry. It's not for everyone because of some of the peculiarities of the chaplaincy, but it is certainly a calling. So I look for that calling on their life as a pastor in many respects, Let's just speak of military chaplains are really nothing more than pastors who are wearing a uniform. Mm. But the calling, I think, would be one of the key things. And besides that, the fact that they have a great love and compassion for all people. I'd like to go back just a little bit. I was privileged to hear you speak not long ago. And you talked about at a very young age having this idea of pastoring come into your heart. Right. I grew up in a in a Christian home, and at the age of 11, I made my own personal confirmation or belief in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And probably as a, as a young teenager, I had a great admiration for pastors of churches and really felt that's what God was leading me towards at some point in my life. And then shortly after um, my conversion, I had the opportunity to hear a military chaplain speak in my church. I've always had a great fondness for the armed services as well, and I just thought it was a perfect type of ministry to minister to, in uniform, if you will, to the members of the armed services and their families, which is, again, nothing more than being a pastor, serving in an institutional setting. I'm wondering what surprised you when you suddenly were assigned as a chaplain on a base working with servicemen and women. Well, first of all, I had been uh, in the military for a number of years, so I knew the culture. Yeah. I think one of the greatest challenges— I'd primarily grown up in the context of a Southern Baptist environment. That was my identity. My faith, beliefs, and practices were among like-minded people. And then to come into the armed services and see this vast array of, of faith expression, individuals, men and women, whose faith was a, protected under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, who had that same freedom that I have as a Southern Baptist to worship in accordance with their own cultural background, faith, beliefs, and practices. That was surprising because it required some growth on my part. It was a increase in my own cultural worldview. I believe that we all, regardless of how we believe and practice our faith, that we have almost blinders on, that we look at things from one particular point of view. And the chaplaincy required me to maintain my own dignity and my own 
practice of my faith, but also to show an interest and to show respect for those who differed from me and to use this as a learning experience to learn about others and how they understood the presence of God or how they worshiped, if you will. Because it still seems it would be, as a minister of God, a real privilege to help someone, even in their own faith that's different from your tradition, to make contact with God. Certainly. It, it was, it's, a, it's a touch point. You actually have the opportunity as a chaplain to be with individuals from every faith, belief, and practice in the United States. There's over 6,000 denominational uh, experiences in the United States alone. And you as a chaplain have an opportunity to be a part of their lives and interact with them, bringing the ministry of the presence of God as you understand it to where they are and to walk with them in their journey of faith. And I found that in many cases it allowed us to dialogue, to have a healthy, dignified conversation about probably the most meaningful thing in our lives, and that's our personal faith. I heard it said that after World War II, one of the best results that came from that for our nation was that people of different economic strata, different races, different religions had all served together. And instead of just where they had grown up knowing only like-minded people, came home with maybe that slightly bigger vision. Certainly. I think that's the experience of our armed services any particular time that they've served. You, you are serving with people who are certainly different from your neighborhood, your community, where you grew up, and you have an opportunity to walk with them, to work with them in a common bond and a mission as far as the mission of the United States Armed Services, but also to learn about their culture, their faith, their beliefs, things that are important to them. And it's it just was an expansion of my worldview, which I think as we look in this world, we're closer together than today than never before because of uh, internet and our global mm. interaction. It's just so important that we understand each other so that we can live together in peace and harmony in this world. And that you can have that expanded worldview and still hold strong in your own tradition. Certainly. And one of the things that we emphasized to our chaplains was we had a responsibility to provide for the religious needs of everyone under our spiritual charge as a chaplain, at the same time without violating the faith, beliefs, and practices of your own faith, never compromising the truth that you know Mm -hmm. while helping others understand or experience their faith practices. Because you felt that call at such a young age, you have quite a few years that are, we think of them often as kind of turbulent years, (laughs) (laughs) figuring out who you are. Maybe you knew that earlier than most. Were there times when you asked yourself, is this just how I was raised, or why do I believe there is a God? That's a great question, and how many times we've heard the old saying, is your faith caught or taught? Hmm. And I believe as I grew up, obviously, I grew up around a Christian family, but there was a time in my life, and I think I really began to experience it in my teenage years as we started having a little more freedom uh, away from our parental control and to see individuals really how they really were, to watch that then go into high school and then to your college and adult living arrangements. It was just, it was amazing. And I found that that uh, experience, my faith in Jesus Christ, always has remained with me. And to be honest with you, I've been walking with the Lord now for decades. I accepted Christ at age 11. I'm 67 today. I can honestly tell you, I've never doubted the presence of God in my life. I've not understood the situations and circumstances that occur all the time, Hmm. but I've never doubted the presence of God or how I have understood the Lord through my relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
Never doubted it. I guess sometimes you go to seminary or college experiences and, you, you know, you want to question, as Job did in the Bible. But even Job said, though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. And that's where I really am today. I've told my wife, especially recently, that even if every blessing were taken, if I received no more blessings from the Lord the rest of my life, he has blessed me more today than I deserve. It's been beyond measure. I do trust him. I don't know if that's a common experience with everyone. Maybe I'm an anomaly, but that's where I am today. Well, that's beautiful. I love hearing that, that that's been a constant. And do you find that because you are trying to walk with the Lord, that people notice that, they feel something? I think it must be more than just you've got a badge on that says, I'm the chaplain, or they wouldn't trust. I do believe there is something about the presence of God living in you that makes a difference that you don't always have to be speaking the words about your faith. There is a countenance, I believe, that exudes from us as followers of Jesus Christ. My example is I attended a lot of military meetings. In many cases, there was no place on the agenda for the chaplain to speak. But even in those times over weeks and months where I did not speak, the command knew I was there. And I watched some things. When someone would drop a four-letter word, they would always apologize to me. And I'd never said a word But they were apologizing. And I believe that that was watching how the presence of God living through my life was coming out of me, if you will. The light of Christ Jesus living in me was actually changing the environment. I believe that chaplains, when they walk in a room, the atmosphere changes. And it's not the badge that you wear or the the symbol of the cross on your uniform. I believe it is the presence of God that you are bringing, in many cases, to a chaotic meeting, a combat situation. Or in those places and times where there have been no words, but the chaplain's presence brings sort of a peace, a healing. I remember one of the most catastrophic events when we had a major mass casualty at a base. And I remember this, this general who was the, the highest ranking in our, on our base. It was so tragic. He looked at our senior chaplain and he said, tell us, what, what are we supposed to do? Chaplain, what are we supposed to do? When we had the first shooting at Fort Hood, Texas, uh, the mass casualty there, I believe it was... 13 killed, 31 wounded, and it was a devastating moment. We were in the middle of a, a meeting in the Pentagon, and nobody had anything to say. The report was made, and the more we reports that came in, the worse it got. And I still remember a four-star general turning around to me and said, Chaplain, you need to pray. And that is a situation that I know has been lived over and over again in the lives, especially of our military chaplains, where Chaos turns into at least uh, turning our hearts and attention towards God to seek an answer or a moment of peace or to establish order out of chaos. I wonder how that played out for you when you were actually with troops on active duty, because there must be moments where I've heard people say, unless you're scared, you can't have courage because you do something in spite of, of fear. If you were not even afraid, that's not really courage. But are there times you've had to sort of say, well, this is a scary situation. Nevertheless, I must leave that, whatever it is, and do what I need to do as my calling. Well, that's a great question. I'm thinking back to uh, shortly before the war began in Iraq in 2003. We are at our, what I would refer to as a dress rehearsal. We're going to leave that meeting, load our vehicles, fly to Kuwait, and prepare to go into Iraq. And in that particular meeting, all of the key leadership of the armed services was in this one room. Three and four-star generals, one and two-star generals, civilians, members of the Secretary of Defense and Army, all these service. It was in this particular room. 
And one of the generals began to tell that we were not going to take a large number of troops into this particular engagement, that it was we were going to take half the number of troops that we sent in during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And there was almost a gasp as he began to give the number of the units that were not going. And after he went through the bad news and saying something along the lines of, regardless, we're going to do the nation's business. This is what they've called us to do, and we'll go with whatever they sent with us. And there was a dramatic pause. And he said, Chaplain, what do you have to say? I'm in the very back of this room, and I began walking down towards the front because he was going to ask me to offer a prayer. And I began sharing the story in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, where Joshua has just taken over a command following a rock star like Moses. And basically, God in Joshua 1 says, Joshua, now it's your turn. And as Joshua reminds the people that we're going to go into this battle, that the word of God is very important, that we're to meditate on it day and night. Then he says, as you probably know, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Do you not know? Do not be afraid or terrified for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that was the scripture I gave to those generals that particular day and reminded them that God is with us, that we need to have courage. It's not an issue of how many troops we're taking or whatever the strategy is, that we all in our own way needed to know that we needed to go into that with courage. And I prayed with him. And that was one of those moments that I really wanted to run out of the room. (laughs) And yet, in some cases like that, chaplains are called when no one has the courage to say anything. Chaplains are called to give a word of comfort, encouragement, strength to those who don't have words to speak. Because you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one of those callings is to preach the gospel, (laughs) how do you know when you can preach to someone, teach them, and how do you know when you need to just walk with them, be there with them in their own tradition? Mm -hmm. It seems like there might be moments when it might be a hard decision. As you begin dealing with issues of faith with people, that's one of the most sacred, intimate discussions that you can ever have. And you've got to be very careful not to invade an area that you have not been given permission to share in this intimate heart-to-heart talk. And I found that probably the first thing that you do is you do a lot of listening. You walk with people, and they will share they will share their sacred story with you as you walk with them and develop a relationship of trust, that regardless of what they're going to tell you. And I have found it inevitably that, is that I walk with people, and the Holy Spirit walks with us, the spirit of encouragement. He comes alongside us to walk with us. And so in many respects, we are walking with him in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit And I have found that individuals eventually will begin expressing their heart needs and their concerns, which then gives you an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. I think of Jesus at the at the well with the woman of Samaria. He showed up in an inopportune time. uh, (laughs) She's doing chores. Yeah, she's doing chores. She's a woman. She's you know with this you know the wrong tribe, and he initiates a conversation with her. And all of a sudden, as she begins to understand, here, here's a person who really understands or with me. She recognizes him as a prophet and begins talking about faith and religion. I have, I have seen that play so often. Instead of just abruptly coming in and forcing your faith, your ideals and principles upon someone, it's almost you know too much, and you have to wait for that moment. I think that's where it comes with the, the guidance and the, of the Holy Spirit leading you. Jesus Christ, for instance, uh, he did it beautifully. I mean, the Son of God, he, he knew when people were ready for that religious talk. Up until that point, as you, he did a lot of observing. 
as the scripture says, then he would see the kingdom of God coming. I believe that's an opening that God provides for you to share then your faith. And that's that's what I think we need to do. It's too often in our evangelistic effort and our desire to lead people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have a technique, we have a list of scriptures, we have a plan for their salvation, and yet we've not asked them permission to share that with them. And I found that as we wait on God in faith, He will open the door and just set that opportunity up as we deal with them gently, respectfully, and in love. You mentioned Moses and Joshua. Joshua did not go to divinity school, but he had a pretty good course of study, I think, by being with Moses. You have a Master of Divinity degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as strategic degrees in the armed services. What is it that someone learns in divinity school or further study that would prepare them or be helpful to them, either in pastoring or being a chaplain? Because lots of people can read the Bible and kind of be on fire about sharing the Word of God, but what is there for people if they'll learn it? That's a great question. As I think back, that's some years ago when I went to seminary, and I actually thought I was going to seminary, my master's degree to get just a deeper understanding of the Bible, like it was going to be a Bible college, and that was not my experience. Did we get Bible? Of course. But it was really more of a strategic and a deeper understanding of scriptural things and theology. It helped me think rationally. Uh, It helped me think systematically. It helped me go in depth. I'm not saying, by the way, you have to go to seminary to carry out God's mission for your life, but it is an important tool that has assisted me and becoming more an in-depth student. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not a master of uh, Hebrew or Greek, but I did pick up those courses which assisted me in rightly dividing the Word of God and going through some courses that, again, helped me to become a critical thinker, not so much to debate someone on their faith, but to learn more about my faith in depth and why I believe what I believe. So I will say that I came out of seminary not learning how to be a better how to become a chaplain or how to a pastor, but it increased my love and desire for the things of God, which are beyond our comprehension. God's ways and thoughts are above ours. It gave me tools to go deeper on my own personal Bible study and to walk with some others on the journey of faith, to dive into the deeper things of the Lord. What are the things that you have to have as a weekly or daily devotional or practice to help you feel that you are connected to God? Well, oftentimes, even before I get up, I'm hearing or thinking about a scripture. But when I get up in the morning, I really have to turn my attention towards the Word of God to sort of set my bearing. It's the compass, the guidance for my life, a reorientation. I was a field artillery officer before I became a chaplain. And one of the things as a field artillery officer, we had cannons that shot in a particular direction. There's something very interesting about those cannons. During the night, and because of magnetic north and the pull of gravity, the cannons during the night in just a six- or eight-hour period of time would drift. Really? And so every morning, we would have to reset the direction of the cannons because of drift. Well, in many respects, that's a beautiful picture of how we are as Christians, regardless of how long we've walked with the Lord. In our human nature, we have a tendency to drift, and it doesn't take much to be in the wrong direction very quickly. And I found that in the morning, when I sing a worship song or play music or read God's scripture, a devotional, and reflect on that, think about it, maybe memorize the verse and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this verse all day long with me, 
and I'm going to meditate and dig into this one all day long. It's something that keeps me in the right direction. And it's amazing how many times as my day progresses that the scripture that I read during my devotional is exactly what I needed for something out there on my path that I didn't know was planned for me that particular day. It's almost, it's almost like I laugh with because I know God's <laughs> laughing. Like You didn't think you needed this. You were in Leviticus today. Really tough book, but you needed to know something here. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, for instance. That's a great verse in Leviticus I turn to. So that's what I find that's important for me daily. To keep, mm. And that's just a daily discipline. And I try to read, not try, I read the Bible every day and I read through the Bible every year. I'd love to say that's what I've done since age 11. It's not. But it's a great discipline that I've taken up a number of years ago. In fact, the first time I read through the Bible all the way through in a year was my first assignment in the Pentagon. And I remember as I was riding into work on the Metro, I first looked at the fact that I had like 40 minutes to look around and witness to somebody on that crowded Metro, the good news of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But I remember the Lord telling me that he was going to teach me something at the Pentagon this first time. He was going to teach me that I needed to learn to be still and know that he's my God. He was going to teach me how to be at peace with him in the busiest assignment that I may ever have in the busiest city on the earth. But he was going to help me center down and focus on him on a crowded metro. It wasn't about witnessing to those all around me. It was about allowing him to speak to me before I went into that Pentagon every day. And I began reading my Bible going and back and forth on the metro every day for four years. And it was a habit that just I haven't I haven't stopped since uh, since then. God says, all things testify of me. But on the list of things, I would not have thought to put artillery cannons. I, I really, I'm actually quite delighted to, to know even that. <laughs> There's a, a testimony of divinity. Yeah. And maybe we kind of covered this, but when you show up on a new assignment, because people get moved around in the armed services, what can you do or how do you establish relationships and trust as soon as possible? Because I, I assume that's a an immediate goal. It is important. And uh, it's been a valuable lesson in the military. I mean, I, I sort of joke, I'm, I am on my 26th zip code. So my family <laughs> and I, we have traveled a lot, constantly moving into a new community, finding a church, meeting new friends in a new organization. And so it's it's something that you really can't put on hold. I've, I find so many of our troops, they'll come and they'll, I'm going to give it six months to get settled in. And really, you don't have six months to settle in because you're only going to be there about another 18 months, and then you, the last six months you're going to be leaving, so that it's, it's a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so I have tried to get through all of that in processing in a very short, as quickly as possible, and then get about work, meeting people, immediately finding out what the, we call it the battle rhythm, but basically the activities of the day for that particular unit. And you can't be everywhere. But finding out where you can most affect ministry to the most number of people and being at some of those critical places where you know the troops are always, they always have to show up in formations or at physical training or on the rifle range, some of their training or as they deploy. And I have just found that when you identify those areas where it's critical for the training, the development, physically, mentally, emotionally for our troops, that's where people recognize that you are one of them. There is a rite of passage. I think most chaplains would tell you, we don't call it a secret handshake, but there is a, there is a moment in time. You go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 
you're going to jump out of an airplane, a perfectly good airplane. You're going to parachute. It's a rite of passage. Does that mean chaplains have to do it? No, but the fact that you're wearing a parachute badge means that I am willing to identify with you even if I have to jump out of this airplane. And Which that was, was not your plan in signing up. was to. not my plan necessarily. <laughs> and yet that's what I have found, that you go where the people are and that you're not a ghost or a person that's just never around. And it's, and it's really something I found that I prayerfully had to ask God's direction because there were so many needs. I was in combat. I had four command posts that really required my attention over some vast distance. I couldn't be at all four places. And I really remember, Lord, where do I need to be today? And either God made a way or prevented me from going to a particular place, but really seeking the Lord's presence going those places. Another thing that I've done, even at the Pentagon, uh, was prayer walk every one of my assignments, either physically walking and praying, asking God what's going on here, physically walking the ground or driving in some cases. And uh, I found that to be very helpful as God, prayer walking is nothing more than asking God for insight while you're on site. Mm. Our commanders do that in a particular way as they walk the terrain of where their potential battle might be without the troops. We need to reciprocate that as chaplains. I have found that to be very important. I do it as a pastor. Recently, I'm serving at a church. They have 56 acres, and I ask one of the deacons to walk with me or to lead me on a walk in probably one of the most snake-infested areas, uh, <laughs> but it was very insightful to hear what had happened on this property or things that had been going on. They no longer were ministries there, and just it was just amazing. And so I found that to also be very important, prayer walking. Another personal question, if you don't mind. Are there particular scripture or two, and this may change, who knows, depending on where you are in your life, that are kind of touchstones for you that you refer to back, or a parable, or, or a hymn? They really are. And someone first asked me, okay, what's your your life verse? I I did not learn that in seminary. It was beyond seminary. And someone said, what's your life verse? I love all the Bible. Now, what's your life verse? As I I began asking God as a young pastor, what's your life verse? And God gave me my life verse, which was Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will fall in order. An issue of priorities, continuing to seek the priority, which is walking in the righteousness of the Lord and his kingdom, and, and living a life of integrity that reflects the love, the light, the way, and the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's been my life verse. Sometimes it takes circumstances to give you a life verse. You come out of a situation with the skin of your teeth, so to speak, and God gives you a verse in the midst of it. It took a foxhole in Kuwait with some incoming enemy missiles, as I said, in a foxhole. I had recently studied the book of Zephaniah right before I deployed. I don't know why, Someone said, hey, you really need to look at the book of Zephaniah. It's a small little book, a lot about the day of the Lord, doom and gloom. But there was a little verse that captured my attention, and it became reality to me in that foxhole. And it was Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save you. He takes great delight in you. He quiets you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. And that verse to me reminded me of the character of Almighty God, who, regardless of where we find ourselves on the earth, in a foxhole? Uh, in a pleasant circumstance, but God is always with us. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow changing or turning with the Lord. Of all of the uncertainty that we deal with in this chaotic world, one thing is certain. Our God is faithful and he is true. And I discovered that in that foxhole. And I continue to remember that verse when things are bad or when things are good, but not allowing that verse 
What does the psalmist say? Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. God expects us, I really believe, to hide his word in our heart. If I could share one more quick story. Please. One of our seminary professors, Jeff Orge, he's the president of Gateway Seminary out in uh, Ontario, California, great preacher, speaker. He had some uh, problems with the larynx that might have been cancerous, and he had to have pretty serious surgery. The doc told him, the only problem is you may come out of the surgery and you could experience a bit of paralysis. Well, he had the surgery. They got all of the problem out of there, but he could not move. He's laying in a hospital bed. He cannot move. He can't speak, can't move. The docs come to see him and said, hey, this is normal. It's part of the what happens to some people. Just give it an overnight, and you will have your feeling back in the morning. But wow. He says as he lay there for the six or eight hours. Now, this guy is just prolific in Scripture. The only Scripture that came to his mind was Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for the night, but, but joy comes in the morning. <laughs> and he said that's the only verse of all of the Scripture that he had memorized and taught and preached, that one verse which gave him confidence and hope that, Lord, I'm, I'm weeping right now. I'm, I'm frightened, but you promised me joy in the morning. And he prayed that all night long. And, of course, the next morning, everything went back to normal. But it was it's amazing how God gives us a verse. You don't even know why you're memorizing it, and yet the power of God's Word comes alive and gets us through a moment when nothing else works or maybe no one else can give us the counsel other than the counsel of the Word of God. Well, he's never going to forget that one. No. Chaplain Carver, it seems that being a chaplain, maybe more than other positions in the military, is less defined in some ways that you have to be someone who really sort of says, I'm making this mission. God, tell me what to do. And you talk about prayer walking and being in places and asking. It just sounds like you're the right man for the job. Well, you know, I I think all of our chaplains, they may not realize it, but their identity is in many cases, they are the spiritual gatekeeper for their troops. That's the assignment they've been given, the spiritual gatekeeper. And it's really a holy assignment. And it's sort of like peeling back the onion as you begin operating in this particular position. You see how God is going to use you, and it's and there's no cookie-cutter approach, but you just seek the Lord's presence. And that's something, by the way, that the founding of this nation, one of the first decisions made by this young nation and by the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, George Washington, in 1775, recognize the need for spiritual leadership for a religious leader to walk with our soldiers. And so we've had for 244 years. Even before the country was a country. Before the country was a country, our senior leadership recognized the need of faith uh, leadership to be with the troops in the form of a chaplain. Major General and Chaplain Douglas L. Carver, United States Army, retired. Thank you so much for speaking with me in good faith. Thank you, my brother. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. Thanks to our guest, Chaplain Douglas Carver, for generously sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, In Good Faith.